0: Well, Redemption Church, I want to start off by asking a question. What season are we in as a church? What, what, uh, what does, is the vision for the next few months? What is the hill that we are called to ascend? Over the last few years, last year and a half, We've, we've been praying in each new season and asking God to give us some clarity, uh, something to focus on, the, the new hill that he wants us to ascend and trying to really hear from him and saying, what is next? And in every one of those seasons, you have displayed an unbelievable responsiveness to God, a resilience, faithfulness, in the early days of COVID, we called it the, the spontaneous Sabbath. And I was like, hey, if we just like wait a few weeks and enjoy the free space that we have over these next few weeks. And I had totally misjudged how long it was going to be. But what we did have clarity on is that we knew that people were going to approach that season with either a sense of flippancy or being gripped by fear. And saying that we could not be a community that did either one of those but needed to press into self-giving love. And to not just look at ourselves, but look at the community, look at the church, and say, what are the needs that need to be met? And I'm not kidding you when I say that every single need that was made known to us, both within the church and uh, outside, somebody in this church stepped up to meet that need. Faithfulness and resilience. Then, you know, that, things were going nice for a while. People were making their bread. They were watching the Tiger King. They were serving people. And then we hit what we named the desert season. It started in about May of 2020. And all of a sudden, we, we thought things were going to open up. And then they quickly shut down. There was this big spike in COVID stuff. And then we started to step into the hottest summer on record where rain was allergic to Arizona. Not only that, that was a season where everyone in society was offended by everything, including pieces of fabric. There was social media, it was terrible, there was fights everywhere. There was heat, there was tension, and really what it was, was there was an exhaustion that people were facing. And we realized that as a church, that instead of just giving in to the exhaustion and then just kind of... Checking out that we needed to step in deeper and to encounter Jesus in the midst of the desert. I mean, we tried to convey that by doing all kinds of silly things, like sermons out in the desert, and you know, Jordan over here taking the video while like dogs are running into the shot, and but you stepped up and said, I'm gonna pursue Jesus even in the midst of the desert season, and it was beautiful. Then Things were rolling, and we started to get into October and and September and and November, and we were stepping into one of the most contentious political seasons that our country has known, or at least in our lifetimes. And since we have a church where about half the people lean one way and half the people lean the other, other way, it could have been terrible. But what we really sensed was that Jesus was inviting us to bow our knee to him as the king above all kings not give in to an ideology, but also not to, to hide from hard conversations, not to just be about talk, but to press into real issues, to seek the flourishing of the city and of the nation shoulder to shoulder, even with people you disagree with. And you stepped up with resilience and faithfulness, and it was beautiful. I think God really delighted in seeing the way that you responded in that time. Advent rolled around, we realized a bunch of people were about to be evicted, how could we help provide for those people? This last spring, we had a sense that God was calling us not to be a a community of consumers or critics, but to be a community of mission that isn't just about talk, but that is about real prayer and action, and you've stepped up with faithfulness and resilience over and over again. And every time there has been a hill that needs to be ascended, You've taken it seriously and you've engaged it. So the question is: what is the hill that sits before us today? What is the next thing in the season of this church, in the life of this church? Well, we've got a vision. We have, I feel like it's an invitation from God for the next few months. And you're like, this is where he hits us with the building campaign, right? No. <laughs> What's the next hill? It's not a hill at all. It's a hammock. I think God has been delighted in the ways in which you've been grinding and caring for others and pursuing justice and meeting needs and helping with crazy Zoom calls and uh, navigating this. Man, this is going to be a season of worship and wonder where we enjoy the gifts of God. where where we take time and are intentionally saying, how can I have space to enjoy God and make space to be with him and be in his presence? And space for wonder, where we enjoy the good gifts of his creation and see that they come from him. Ultimately, I think it's to cultivate a Sabbath mindset in this summer. Where we press into worship and wonder, playing and praying, enjoying God and enjoying His world. And where are we gonna learn how to do that? Well, today we're gonna open up to Exodus 20. We're gonna look at the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments, which is the commandment to practice Sabbath. And we're gonna learn what it looks like to have a life, to have rhythms of worship and wonder. Now, so go ahead and open up to that passage. And I know that some folks here are probably thinking when you hear the word Sabbath, that it's like, oh no. Sabbath can often feel like this boring, legalistic ritual where you're not allowed to have fun and you're not allowed to eat Chick-fil-A. That's kind of what it's about, right? (laughs) But that's not Sabbath at all. When you see Scripture and you see the heart of what's happening, In Scripture. You see that Sabbath is God's invitation, a unique invitation, not sent on a hallmark card, but sent through a day that shows up every week, an invitation to worship where you set aside time to enjoy his presence, an invitation to wonder as we set aside time to enjoy his world, and an invitation to be a community of rest where we help provide rest for one another as we bear witness to the watching world about the uniqueness of our God who says, I will work for you, I will strive for you so that you can enter into rest. So those are our three invitations. We're gonna take them one by one. And my hope is that we walk out of here fully equipped to spend a summer of enjoying God and enjoying his world. So let's look at number one. Open up to uh, Exodus 20 and look at verse 8, and what we see is that Sabbath is an invitation to worship, an invitation to worship the one true God, the true God who's the creator of all things and to get to be attentive to him. It says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day, not create it, but remember it. God has already created it so that you step into it and to keep it holy, to keep it set apart as this unique day of attentiveness to God. But what are you supposed to do in that day? What are the instructions? You might expect an elaborate uh, ritual or process or ceremony, but here's what it says. It says, six days you shall labor and do all your work but on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. what, What are you supposed to do on Sabbath? It's not about a prescription of particular activities, but the actual word Sabbath has this idea of stopping, of ceasing, of refraining. It's a holy, sacred inactivity that they were to practice. It affirms the value of work. Work is good, six days for work. But there's a day where you put down the shovel and you chill out. It's a day of a, where you make a trade. For them, uh, they, there were many verbs that were associated with work, and they needed to trade those for the verbs of rest. The verbs of work were digging and planting and building and cooking and organizing and selling. And there's a day where you set those aside for the verbs of rest ceasing, worshiping, praying, savoring, feasting in the presence of others. There's not a lot to explain in this text because it's not very complicated. Six days work, one day chill out and pay attention to God. It's not complicated, but it should strike us as strange. If you're familiar with the idea of Sabbath and you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the strangeness can kind of wear off on us a little bit. But this is weird. How does Sabbath show up on a list, a top 10 list with like murder and idolatry and those sorts of things? It's as if God is saying, only worship one God. And to build a strong, flourishing society. So that's what he's doing here. He's shaping a unique people. He's saying, worship one God. Don't kill each other. Don't wreck each other's families through adultery. Don't take each other's stuff. And you know what? You better take a day off. (laughs) Think about that. If you're making a top 10 list, a 10 rules for how society should flourish, does a day off make it into your top 10? I mean, before I even would get to rest, I mean, that'd be on there. I mean, that's nice, but I'd probably have, like, no nukes first, um, care, for, care for the needy, you know, no Lakers jerseys at church. Like, all of these things should precede uh, Sabbath. But here's the thing. God's not a fool, foolish Suns fan like me. He might be a Suns fan, not foolish, though. His ways are different. His ways are better. And he has a very particular reason why he puts rest and Sabbath in the midst of the Ten Commandments. It's because he is showing the contrast between him and Pharaoh. See, the Ten Commandments didn't just come without context. It's not like God just like sent a poster with ten rules and it just came out of nowhere. But the backdrop of the story is that God's people are ready to receive the, um, what God has for them, the, to build this new society, this new people called Israel. But where they come from is really important. They had just been under years and years of slavery to this deified king in Egypt named Pharaoh. Who had a bunch of building projects he wanted to do. And he said, instead of of having my people do these, instead of me doing these, I am going to enslave the Israelites and force them to do more and more and increase their quotas. He was a harsh, tyrannical slave driver who said, no rest. And so when you see God showing up to people and making rest one of the first priorities. The Essentially, the first priority after worshiping God. First three commandments are all about God is the only God to worship. Don't do idols, don't honor his name. And then when it comes to how do you do that, it's through rest. He is showing that he is different than Pharaoh. And it's interesting here because what you're seeing in Exodus is a glimpse of God's grace, that God is the one who works for us and works for our flourishing before he ever requires anything of us. We, we often think there's, there's not really grace in the Old Testament. Grace is where you have to like earn God's favor by doing works. no. Exodus 20 verse 2, before it even gets into the Ten Commandments, it starts with God's work that precedes our work. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. That's the Old Testament way of saying you are saved by grace, that God acted before requiring, that he rescued to set you free. God and Pharaoh, are very different. Pharaoh takes, God gives. Pharaoh increases the workload, but God increases mercy. Pharaoh takes away your, your family, your time, your energy. It saps you of life. But God takes away your shovel and says, chill out, take a day of rest. Pharaoh demands that you work on his behalf. But God meets our deepest needs by working on our behalf. He did it when he delivered Israel from the slavery of Egypt, and Jesus does it with us as he delivers us from the slavery of sin and Satan and death and the various idols and pharaohs that we bow our knee to in our life. And so Sabbath was God's invitation It was a weekly reminder that they no longer lived under the reign of Pharaoh and nobody in the community was allowed to act like Pharaoh anymore. And nobody was allowed to stack on the quotas and give the burden that would crush people. But you were living under a new way. You were living under the reign of God who's filled with mercy and grace and rest. And you might be saying, well, good for them. Glad that worked out but I don't have any pharaohs in my life. Maybe we do though, right? Maybe we have some tyrannical things that in little subtle ways are enslaving us, are increasing the quotas, are demanding more of us. One of them would be the pharaohs in our pockets, those little glowing rectangles that sit in our pockets and are never more than three feet away from us. And through their chains of Instagram and Reddit and YouTube and the little news app, they promise this pseudo Sabbath. Hey, we will give you an escape from the real world. We'll give you an opportunity to check out. But what they demand is they demand more and more and more of your attention. Constantly increasing the quotas and demanding more of your attention. And ultimately, it will never be enough. There's also the Pharaoh of significance. I struggle with this one. So many of us, we have these, uh, this deep desire that we would be perceived as significant in some way. It's either successful or funny or intelligent or good-looking or theologically astute or artistic or a great parent. You know, basically the things that would describe me, right? Uh, We laugh because we know none of us are all those things. But we want to stand out from the crowd. You want to insult somebody? One of the harshest insults that you can leverage in our day is just saying, you're average at that, (laughs) I heard a statistic a while ago that like in any given category, 90% of people think that they are above average in what that thing is. That is statistically impossible. I don't know a lot about math, but there's bad math in the world. But this idea of I need to be exceptional, I need to be significant, can often function as a slave driver that demands us to more study, more hours, more reps, and it will never be enough. Here's the deal. I usually have a few hours where I go through my sermon and I, tr- and I, and I try to make it a little more creative, a little more memorable, because um, I want to be perceived as creative. And I think that's a good thing, right? But those weeks, or those hours this week, it got interrupted by some people in real need. My daughter also. And what terrified me is that I'd get up here and not have a very creative sermon. A true one, but not a very creative one. And then I would just be seen as meh. It's okay to be meh. But the Pharaoh of significance will always increase the quota again and again and again. Then you got the Pharaoh of the American dream, where you think I'm supposed to be at a certain place in life, a certain, have a certain house, be a certain place in my career, have certain Instagrammable experiences in life, have a certain resume. And it always feels like you're you're just there. And the closer you get, the more that the Pharaoh of the American dream whispers to you: just check your email. There's that one email that'll change everything. Just do one more extra hour at work. Just, just work a little bit on, the, on your vacation, just a little bit, but it will never be enough. It will keep demanding more and more as it raises the stakes, just like Pharaoh did with Israel. And it keeps us enslaved and on the treadmill, running after that which we won't attain. But for Israel, the Sabbath was the weekly reminder that you no longer live under the reign of Pharaoh. It's where God shows up and says, It's enough. Cease. Stop working. Stop striving. Rest, worship, take a nap. The weekly reminder that we no longer live under the reign of Pharaoh. Now, I know. That right now, there's a few workaholic folks that are figuring out the loopholes. They're like, hey, I've read the New Testament. I know that Jesus does some stuff with the Sabbath where he's like picking fights with people on Sabbath and healing people on the Sabbath. So there's gotta be a loophole so I don't have to do this whole Sabbath thing, right? Yeah, in a sense. But really what Jesus is doing is he's recovering the heart of Sabbath. He's intentionally picking some fights with people who had turned Sabbath into a day of loading a burden onto people instead of releasing the burden. It it was almost as if the pharaohs of that day were weaponizing Sabbath to keep people enslaved. And we see this scene in Matthew 2 where Jesus is with his disciples and they're walking through this, uh, field, and they're plucking little heads of grain. It was like snack time with the disciples. And the religious leaders of that time were criticizing them like, how dare you work on the Sabbath? Like, like picking a little grain is a lot of work, right? And Jesus responds to them, and he says that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That this is a gift to release the burden, not to increase the burden. And it says, so the son of man is the Lord of Sabbath. In other words, so I'm in charge. I'm the one who creates the Sabbath. I'm the king of the Sabbath. And I'm not going to let you lay on the extra burdens through the use of Sabbath. So a lot of Christians throughout history have said, okay, we don't need to do that one day a week thing. There can be some flexibility and those sorts of things. There's actually some wisdom to the rhythm that God created the world to operate in of of six days of work and one day of rest. But you're right, there is a little bit of freedom and creativity and flexibility, but it's not so that you can slip the extra work in. It's But Jesus does this to recover the heart of Sabbath, which is to create the space for worship and for wonder. And so what does that look like for us? I'd probably recommend taking a day, but maybe it's a different rhythm for you. Here's ultimately what it is. The Sabbath is about a trade. It's where you take the things that are in the stack of work and you say, I'm going to set those aside and I'm going to trade them in for the things that are in the stack of worship, of engaging God, of being with him and being in his presence. So some of us, maybe here's what Sabbath looks like. It's a day of trading in the task list for the Psalms where you set aside the task list and don't even look at it, but immerse yourself in the Psalms and have a day filled with prayer. Maybe it's trading in noise for solitude. Maybe it's trading in a day of lavish spending, where you're always on Amazon, consuming more and more and more for a day of lavish, abundant giving, celebrating the God who's given to you. Maybe a day of trading in screens for scripture as you meditate on the word of God. Or a day of trading in work meetings for corporate worship and meeting together with God's people and putting our voices together to sing. What does it look like? As we step into this summer, my challenge for you is to be able to answer this question. How are you making space to just be in God's presence and enjoy him. Now, it sounds like, whoa, what a challenge, Jim. But for some of us, it's going to be a challenge. And let me tell you, that presence, the meeting with God, accepting that invitation is such a gift. So Sabbath is an invitation to worship. But the second thing is that Sabbath is an invitation to wonder. If you know me, you know I kind of use this word excessively, try to slip it into a lot of different things. But today, it actually works, all right? So Sabbath is God's invitation to be filled with awe and wonder as we enjoy the good gifts of his creation. What are some of those gifts? We got basketball. We got swimming, honey, friendships, brisket, I'm on a streak. I got to mention brisket in every sermon. (laughs) These are gifts from God, and Sabbath is the opportunity to actually enjoy God's creation. Verse 11 says this. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In other words, if you want to know how to practice the Sabbath, who sets the example? God does. God was the first one to practice Sabbath. After creating for six days, you see this in Genesis 1 and 2, after creating for six days, he takes a day of Sabbath rest. He doesn't just give the commandment and say, you do it, but he does it. But we should be asking Why? What is he doing? Is he worn out? Is that why he takes rest? Was it like, was it making the sea creatures just a little too much for him so he needed some me time afterwards? Was was it it hurting his back to move the mountains around? Was the engineering of a donkey so complex that he just needed to clear his mind for a day? No. He didn't need rest. He didn't need to relax his muscles, but he is resting. And many theologians say what he is doing on his Sabbath is he is delighting in the beauty, in the masterpiece of what he has made. And so one of the ways that we practice Sabbath is to actually follow God's pattern and enjoy the masterpiece of his creation. He's given all of these gifts. Should we leave them unwrapped and ignored because we are focused on the serious stuff? This is implicit in Genesis and in Exodus, but it's pretty explicit in other parts of Scripture where you see the eruption of praise as people are filled with wonder as they enjoy God's creation and how that turns into praise and wonder toward God. How they see a glimpse of God in the things that he has made. One of my favorites is Psalm 104. If you're hiking uh, this year, pull out Psalm 104. It is perfect for a good hike. It's a psalm of praise where uh, where it's praising God for the well-crafted ecosystems. And then it has this part where it just erupts in worship. And it says, oh, Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And he's looking at trees and badgers and all these animals. And then he says, what an incredible creation you've given. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In other words, one of the best preachers around is the, the purple and orange sunset, which proclaims that God is the great artist. Romans 1 talks about how, how in, in, the, in the stuff of creation, we can see what God is like, what his attributes are like. And many theologians have talked about all of creation, the stuff of creation, as being theomorphic. In other words, that God is ultimate, and what he has done in his creation is he has embedded certain qualities about himself to where if you see and enjoy those things in their proper place and proper context, you can catch a glimpse of what God is like. Rocks show the God of strength. Water gives us a picture of the God who is refreshing. Birds and them eating seeds gives us a picture of God's provision. This is literally what Jesus said. Honey shows the sweetness of God's presence. And so, what are we commissioned to this year? We're commissioned to enjoy and savor and delight in the gifts that God has given and use those as an opportunity to see a little bit of who God is. I'll tell you. This year, for me, has been some of the hardest, most complex work with some of the strangest things I've had to wrestle through. It has been crazy. But you know what? This has been one of the most worshipful years of my life. This is I feel like healthier in this year than a lot of other years and, and not drained. And I think it's because I've, uh, in part, I've stepped into this invitation that I felt like God had for me about a year and a half ago of saying, uh, I want to meet with you in the mountains. Jake and I, we were camping together and I felt like that was what God was stirring. And so ever since then, I've been doing at least one, but sometimes two to three hikes a week and just spending time in the beauty of God's creation. Some of the best times I've had are with my daughter really early in the morning when things were really intense this summer. My daughter and I, we would go and watch the sunrise at Papago Park. We would sit by the pond and look at those beautiful rock formations, and my arm would be around her, and we would read scripture, we would see creosote bushes, and we would just know that it's gonna be all right. The God who created this stuff, He can handle our stuff. And as I looked at the, the creosote bush which has become my favorite bush. It's so overlooked. I learned a little bit about it, that it is so resilient that it almost never needs water, and it can thrive just based on that little bit of water that it gets. And I would see that that is the church. That is what God has called us to. And the creosote bush preached a refreshing message to me. And as we, I was filled with wonder at the, at the creosote bush and the girl that my arm was around and the, the sunrise, those are the things that have sustained and brought health. It's not about just trying to get hard work out of your life. It's filling it with the wonder and the gifts of God's creation. So what does that look like for you? For you? I don't have any hard and fast rules, but let me commission you to some things. You pick one of these. I want to commission you, challenge you, go on some hikes. Go to northern Arizona, and as you see the Sedona uh, jagged sandstone formations, those big red formations, or the, the abundance of Ponderosa pines and flagstaff, and you see the grandeur of the mountains, be reminded of the greater grandeur of God who carved those mountains. Be in awe of Him. Some of us, Some of us need to enjoy some conversation with some real people, an unhurried, non-agendaed conversation, unmediated by Zoom with no mute button, where you're actually seeing the smile on the bottom half of their face, and just linger and have that conversation and delight in the physical presence of another person and being known. And as you experience that, find delight and wonder in the God who makes himself known and who came to us in the real physical body of Jesus. Some of us should enjoy a good book or a good movie. We've got book clubs and, and film nights, and that's a part of this uh, summer of worship and wonder. And as you find yourself in the awe of creative storytelling, be filled with wonder toward the creative God who is the author of the true story of the world. Enjoy a Sun's game. Lakers folks, you might have to persevere for another season. But some of us, as we're enjoying a Suns game, and you see that perfect backspin on a Devin Booker jump shot, enjoy it and let it remind you of the God who created the laws of physics. How are you going to make space to enjoy God's creation? My challenge to you is to be able to answer that question this summer. So, third and finally, the third invitation that we have is that Sabbath is an invitation to be a community of rest, to be a community of rest. One of the biggest misconceptions about Sabbath is that it's just divinely sanctioned me time. It is not. The reality is that it's a community of rest where we're helping to provide rest for one another. As we bear witness to the uniqueness of our God in the midst of a world that is saying more and more and more. Verse 10 says uh, it talks about the scope of Sabbath. And this is sort of scandalous and countercultural if you would have read this in that day. It says on it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. That's pretty straightforward, but here's where it gets scandalous. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. In other words, the whole community, not just the powerful, not just the head of the household, not just the person who has the wealth, gets to experience rest. Male and female, young and old, employer and employee, citizens and immigrants. Even the land, the the environment was to experience rest as animals are commanded here and in other places. It talks about giving rest for the land. The idea of rest was not novel in the ancient Near East, but a community of rest where everyone along the spectrum got rest. That was. The, The powerful people in that day, they got their rest. In other words, Pharaoh was the master of self-care. He had boundaries, he, he had time for himself. But what he was doing is he was just shifting the burden on to God's people, onto the Israelites and saying, "You're the one that's going to carry the burden so that I can have the rest." But in, in God's community, in the church, that's not what it's about. It's about us resting together and helping one another, and having our eyes out for both the people in this room and people out in the community who are exhausted and bringing a dose of Sabbath to them. What does that look like? What if we had an eye out for the exhausted friend? And we said, can I bring them a meal? Can I watch their kids? Can I help with yard work? Can I help carry some of the load for them so that they can experience rest as well. I know someone who said uh, that they will not go on vacation and save enough for vacation unless they've also saved enough for someone else to go on vacation who doesn't have the means. Another way of doing this would be in your work context. Are we little pharaohs as we run around our jobs? Maybe not sending text messages, especially stressful ones, late at night. If you're an employer, are you promoting healthy rhythms of work and rest? Are you paying just wages so that people have some margin in life? Or are you playing the junior pharaoh in your little space so that you can go and get some rest yourself? Parents. Are you taking the cues from the culture of just rushing from activity and inactivity? Or are you playing your role of, of bringing discernment and saying, we will engage in some things and not others because there needs to be some margin for rest, for worship, for wonder? Maybe all of us. As we, just not, as we look beyond this room and just look out in our community and say, where are the people who are bearing the burdens and who are stressed and exhausted? I mean, it could be as simple as this. Why don't we just take it easy on restaurant workers, teachers, nurses? Not every complaint needs to be filed. <laughs> what if we showed grace and we provided little mini doses, micro doses of Sabbath everywhere we went and extended grace to people and found ways to carry their burdens as well. You see, that's, that would be a beautiful community, a countercultural community. And for some, you might be saying, why are you emphasizing rest when we should be pushing into mission, evangelism and justice and church planting and faith and work and all these sorts of things? Well, don't worry, we'll get there. We'll have other sermons on that. But here's the thing, it all needs to come in that right rhythm of work and rest. It doesn't depend on us. And at the end of the day, it not only doesn't depend on us, but sometimes the most missional witness is to actually be a community of rest. That was true then. It was true for Israel. They were called to be a light to the nations. In other words, they were to be an island in the midst of all these other nations where they were a rested people, where everyone flourished because everyone rested. In the midst of places like Egypt and Babylon, where there were pharaohs who were saying more, 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 they were to bear witness to the God who says enough. That's why God takes so seriously the command to rest. And the same is true for us. We, as we step in and our community of providing rest for one another, we bear witness to the world. In this exhausted world, what if there was a community of well-rested people who were attentive in conversation, who had hearts that were brimming in worship, who had margin, who had minds filled with wonder towards the goodness of creation? What if we were not just a well-rested people, but bringing rest to others? We would create an island of Sabbath and a sea of frenetic activity that would show the uniqueness of our God. Let us bring our Sabbath lifestyles and welcome others onto the island of Sabbath in this image-barraged, workaholic, bloodshot eyes, over-caffeinated, entertainment-addicted, frenetic world, providing an island of rest. And on that island of rest, who will they meet? They will meet the Lord of the Sabbath, the King of the island of rest, Jesus. And through our lives, communicating to one another and to the watching world, his words, his invitation, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what's the vision for this summer? Don't got a lot of activity, don't have a lot of events. The vision is be able to answer three questions. Number one, worship, how can I make space to be with God? Number two, wonder, how can I make space to enjoy God's creation? And number three, community, how can I help others rest? It's not a hill to climb, but it's a, sab- it's a hammock to find. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice this right now. We're going to take a moment to have a little micro-dose Sabbath. I'm going to give three to five minutes of silence. I've ended my sermon a little bit early to honor this little micro-Sabbath, and we're going to be silent and just enjoy God. Maybe you ask him, how are you going to answer those three questions, and you let him speak to you. Maybe you just sit in his presence and enjoy it. Maybe you need a nap. You got three to five minutes to do that now. Let's just sit in the presence of God and Sabbath together. And I'll come back in just a moment and lead us in communion. Friends, there's more where that came from. There's a God who's inviting you to set aside the space to be with him. He's inviting you to worship and to wonder and to be a community of rest. But the ultimate invitation to rest is not Sabbath, but it is Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath himself. God gave us a good thing in giving us the Sabbath, but in giving us Jesus He has given us the ultimate invitation to find rest for our souls, rest for our lives, rest eternally. And so we remember Jesus today and what he offers and how he, through his work, not our work, earned that for us. So we do it by remembering the bread, remembering his body given for us. So let's take and eat and remember Jesus's body now. And we remember what he has done in shedding his blood, how he created a new covenant for us, a new way to relate to God, a new way to rest in his presence through his pain and through his scars and what was put on his back instead of our own. So remember the generosity of Jesus as you take communion now and drink the cup. God, we respond to your invitation now. We delight in you and we worship you and we thank you that you are here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.